you often uh, hear it said, I feel like today nowadays, that the, the word polarizing applied to a lot of things that we talk about, right? There's particular issues that do come up that, for whatever reason, tend to be an especially polarizing, right? It divides people into these two particular camps, and what that does is that it really does insert a, a kind of division, right? You think this, I think that, we think differently, and we're against each other. And there's usually a lot of emotion attached to that, right? There's whatever the particular issues are that and today that, that come up, it automatically what it does is that it puts one person against the other, this polarizing nature. And you've, I've heard people say that, you know, as culture goes on, and for all kinds of various reasons, are, are we're getting more and more polarized, right? We encounter these scenarios more and more and more frequently. And as I was sitting with the, the gospel we heard today of this woman and the encounter that she had with Jesus, um, something that I guess that came to mind as I was sitting with that is really... The, the New Testament reveals to us that this tendency to polarization isn't a new phenomenon, right? It's not like, gosh, we're in such a horrible place right now that we've never been here before. Because I think there's few people in the history of the world who are, who are more polarizing than Jesus was. The entire New Testament shows of how polarizing of a figure Jesus was. Because at the same time, you had people leaving everything and giving their lives totally to him, giving everything for his sake. And at the same time, had people who would stop at nothing purely to get rid of him. They lost sight of every, all. The only thing it seems that they cared about was getting rid of Jesus, making him hated, making him vilified, just getting him out of the Jewish culture, getting out of, of the, the minds of the people of the time. And as I was sitting with, with this gospel today, we see that the scribes and the Pharisees were very much in the latter camp, right? The only thing that they cared about was getting rid of Jesus, you never hear the, the scribes and Pharisees preaching or teaching the law. The only thing you hear about them doing is doing whatever they can to trap Jesus, to catch him in a snare, to get rid of him, to condemn him to death is what they really wanted. And they had they, that, they become so focused on that. Jesus had become such a thorn in their side that that's the only thing they thought about and the only thing they worked at doing, it seems like. The gospel we hear about this woman who was caught, who was caught in the act of adultery, and the, and the scribes say, and the Pharisees say, "Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act, right?" Which means that they like they didn't just stumble upon that. They like identified this woman and they followed her and they waited upon the moment when they could finally take advantage of her and kind of throw her shamefully in the middle of all these people to create this spectacle, all for the sake of catching Jesus in this trap. That's all they cared about. They didn't let anything get in their way. They, they really took advantage and manipulated this woman. They manipulated all the crowds who were watching. They tried to trap Jesus. They even used the law, this gift that God had given the Jewish people, for the sake of judgment and for the sake of condemnation and for the sake of division. They took all these good things and they twisted them and manipulated them just to use them for the sake of this twisted mission. And it's striking, just like, you, it's for, for, um, from our perspective right now here in the story, it's very easy to see, like, how wrong that is. No one likes the scribes and the Pharisees. They're pretty much kind of driven into our mind as these terrible people. We would, nev we would never think like that. We would like to think with ourselves, think of ourselves. But I feel like so often, I, I, I don't like it, but I see a lot of myself in the scribes and Pharisees. Their harshness. Their mercilessness, they're willing to, they, they're, they're um, driven solely by their own desires, their own emotions, their own sake of control. That's what they're motivated by, which a lot of times I find myself acting that way. 
I want to be in control, my way or the highway. I get so focused on what I think needs to happen that I'm, I'm, w- w- nothing else matters except what I think needs to happen. Even if it means possibly hurting other people. No, I don't intend to. Maybe. <laughs> if we're honest, right? Or we see God operating in that same mentality. He only cares about what he wants. He doesn't really see me or know me. And I have this merciless vision of God. And, and that, that, that leaves me kind of feeling alone, dejected, without any kind of real hope or support. It's like in the presence of light, which Jesus is, light tends to have two reactions. Either we allow ourselves to come into the light, or we just retreat further and further into the darkness, out of a, 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 false, a, a very real but a false and twisted fear, which we see the Pharisees doing today. And what Jesus does and what he says, his actions, what he's doing is that he's, twi- he's, he's lifting up for us a different kind of vision, a different way of operating. Not one that's devoid of relationship, not one that's focused on division and my way and at the expense of everybody else. But he's lifting up an entirely different way of looking at ourselves and looking at other people. Because notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't condemn anybody. He doesn't condemn the scribes and the Pharisees. He says nothing negative to them. He doesn't condemn this woman. She says nothing negative to her. But what he does is that he tries to bridge the gap that had been formed, right? He says, let the one of you who is without sin be the one to cast the stone. What he's doing is she's trying to lift up the reality that we're all in the same boat. There's not one who's better than the other, the righteous people better than the sinners, because we're all sinners, We're all in the same, but we all struggle with sin. There's not a one of us who doesn't struggle. And that struggle is hard enough. What we don't need is now the the weight of judgment, the weight of condemnation, the weight of division being piled upon the interior struggle that we're all already going through. He's trying to unify these people to say, no, we're all in this same boat. And the love and the mercy of God is open to all of us equally. And he shows that by looking at this woman and speaking a word of mercy to her, reminding her, I don't condemn you. The mercy of God is available to you. Speaking to her, I can't even imagine what she's going through and the shame and the pain that she's experiencing in this moment, being taken advantage of like that. And Jesus says, no, like, I don't condemn you. And then he says to her, go and sin no more, Right? What he does there is that he takes the law, which the Pharisees had used to judge, to condemn, and to divide, and he uses it for the purpose that we actually have it for. Because the life the woman was living wasn't going to lead her to happiness. He says, go, and he reminds her, you can't attain the happiness that your heart is searching for. By turning away from sin, we're living in the way that God created us to live. And that's how we're going to experience his happiness. The law is not meant to condemn. The law is meant to show us how to live. It's a gift to show us we all desire true happiness. This is how you attain it. It's not meant to condemn. It's meant to reveal the truth of who we are. And that's what Jesus is showing us by these words. Sin is not going to satisfy us. But there is something that will. It's a totally different kind of vision that the Pharisees and scribes are operating out of and one that Jesus is operating out of. And he invites us to to recognize the ways that we are like the Pharisees and to continue to strive to live more out of this vision of really reconciliation. Love St. Paul's, in the second reading, I was just struck by how perfectly it fits in 
because St. Paul articulates it super well. He says, everything else is a loss except for the supreme good of knowing Jesus, of being in relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. Because there he says that I have a righteousness that's not based on my own work through the law. If my righteousness is based on me, see how long that lasts. Because we're all weak, weak and sinful people. And if it's based on me, I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to feel like I'm good enough. I'm never going to feel like I'm doing enough. Because there's always more that I can do. But St. Paul says my righteousness is based on God. And it depends on what he has already done for me. And he says, although I haven't achieved this perfectly, I'm not at perfect maturity, I haven't taken hold of this mystery, I continue to pursue it because I have been taken possession of already by Jesus. God has already revealed it to us. He's already claimed us. It's a vision not of condemnation, of judgment, of rejection, but a vision of relationship and restoration that's what Jesus has already done for us, and he continues to desire us to, to, to see for ourselves. That's the vision. The way that he encounters both this woman and the Pharisees, that's how he encounters us. And as we continue to place ourselves before the Lord, let's pray for the grace today to see that vision. Not one that divides and condemns, but one that reconciles, that brings us together and restores us to the true dignity that God has already given to us. Let's pray for the grace to see that and to live that today. Amen.